We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Hey everyone, Dr. Jones with another episode of the Scene to Lead podcast student edition today. And, and today I, I present to you Riley Getchell. Riley's a student who really gets it done academically, but is also the captain of multiple sports and is involved in so many different clubs that you're going to be shocked with some of the things she says. You know, have you ever had a chance to talk to a student or another person for that matter where they just have such a strong sense of who they are and what they want to do that it really kind of takes you back with some of their insights on what's occurring around them and how to improve it? You see, Riley was empowered so much through one of these clubs that she's actually authored legislation that was passed at her town level. And she's already jumped out ahead of making sure she achieves what she sees as valuable and important in her life. But when Riley's talking, she says the most important aspect of building a community that supports, engages, and empowers students, it's to have fun. And when I heard that, I said, well, yeah, okay, well, students like to have fun. But then Riley goes on to talk about clear communications about expectations. She says a couple of just really deep thoughts about you need to show students not just how to do things, but where and how they need to use them so that they add value and the students become engaged with them. We even had a little bit of a conversation about the possibilities of optional assignments. And yeah, you can, you can guess, we went there about homework. You know, Riley also talks about building a strong sense of community in this episode by decreasing the animosity that we sometimes see between students and teachers in our hallways. But what really sent it home for me with Riley. And it it really just made me take a step back as she talked about not placing your personal value on what you get for grades. Wow, a high school student coming out with a thought like that and letting leaders and teachers know alike just how important it is to make sure we're looking at students as human beings and not individuals that just have grades attached to them. And finally, Riley explains to all of us, we just need to put ourselves in each other's shoes for a little while because we never know what burden somebody else is carrying. Wow, there's, you know, there's a lot in this episode. But remember now, Riley said the most important part is having fun. So enough from me. Let's hear from Riley herself. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. You never know what everyone's dealing with outside of school. And this is for students and teachers. Take everything with a grain of salt and just remember to keep being kind to people because you truly never know what's going on with a person. Hey. 
Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead Student Edition, a show designed to help teachers and leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their students through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from students in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what students need and teachers and leaders provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. And today we're here with Riley Getchell. She's a senior in high school and involved in just about anything you can get involved in, from academics to clubs to sports. Welcome to the podcast, Riley. Thank you. It's great to be here today. I'm glad you came. I'm really excited. I think it's important that we get students like you to tell us how to better support, engage, and empower you in the classrooms. Because if we want to know how to do that for students, we should probably ask the students, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So why don't we start it off by asking you what you're passionate about in school? I know you're involved in a ton of things, but what are you really passionate about? I would say I'm really passionate about the environment and social justice and really just empowering the students of our school. I plan on majoring in political science when I go off to college next year. So I've tried to involve myself in as much student government as possible. Excellent. So you, um, and you said political science, that was actually my major in my undergrad. So oh, go oh, poli wow. sci. Yeah. <laughs> now, I know you're, you're really passionate about the environment because you're president of SEEK, S-E-A-C. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and maybe how you got involved in that? Yeah, sure. Um, So SEEK is the Student Environmental Awareness Club. And I actually had no idea about it going into freshman year. But one of my friends, her sister was really involved with it. And she was like, oh, like, this club is fun. They care about the environment. Sometimes they have pizza at their meetings. And I was like, oh, sure, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) So I found out that every week they actually collect the entire school's recycling. And that if we didn't do it, the school doesn't. So no one else would which I thought, I was like, wow, like we're really doing something big here. And throughout the years, I just kept like taking on more and more projects. (laughs) And until the biggest one sophomore year was, we decided to try to get plastic bags and styrofoam containers banned in Whitman. And I actually did write the legislation myself. And then with the help of SEEK, we campaigned for the bylaws and then spoke about it at town meeting. And then we got them passed, which... I would say that's probably the biggest accomplishment for me in high school so far. I would say that's a huge accomplishment. You actually got involved in your local government and got people to do things. So that's, uh, that's, I would say that's a step in the right direction for a future poli-sci major. (laughs) I would agree. Thank you. (laughs) So how did you, how did you get, I I know you mentioned that your friend said, um, told you about this group that had pizza and everybody knows that if you bring pizza, people will come. So, yeah, but How are you engaged or empowered to this group? I know we got the end part of being empowered enough to go after legislation, but how do you get somebody engaged like that? How do we do that as a school? As a school, I would say it's really the little things. The recycling, like just picking up the recycling from the bins is so small. But once you get a group, like, like a group will take one bin and we just do laps around the school. And it's like, 
everyone really just comes together and we're all chatting and laughing and you really just form these great bonds in clubs, I would say. Seek's grown to about 40 members. So it's great getting to know all these underclassmen, I would say. That's cool. And now you said it's the little things that get people engaged. Now that works with a club. Can you take a second and try and get that to a classroom for me? So we know that students aren't always engaged in academics, right? Yeah. How can teachers get students more engaged in the classroom environment and in academics? Mm, I would say, although it's hard sometimes because students, obviously, you can't control everyone's behavior, but I would say really just having fun with what you're teaching is the best. Like my statistics teacher, he's not, I, I love him, but he's not the most upbeat guy. But in his lessons, he'll just say, these funny little things and everyone just starts laughing and like, are like, Oh, like now I get how that like relates to statistics. And it's just like a stupid nickname for like a baseball player and one of the um, problems. And it's really just about having fun in order to engage people and bring them in. Just something small like that works so, so well. I don't know. I guess you could say when you, when you're human. Yeah. And uh, you just kind of close that gap between students and teachers a little bit. Yeah. So in classes where you struggle, one of the other things that I'm curious about is because, especially post-pandemic, and everybody talks about the learning loss and things like that, but how do you find support working in, in classrooms? So what ways can teachers support students best in classrooms, do you think? I would say really just being open about your policies and offering opportunities to make up work and have extra credit or have a couple of days staying after. Um, I would say some of the best teachers I've had that I got a good grade, but I also felt like I learned were the most organized teachers and the most engaged teachers that really gave us a lot of opportunities to bring up our grades. Now, you said something really interesting because everybody says, everybody thinks teachers should be organized. Teachers need to be organized with everything that's going on. Um, but you said engaged teachers. What does an engaged teacher look like? An engaged teacher is one who teaches the lesson by also like doing the classic like cold calling, raising raising hands, and ask, asking questions that pertain to the lesson, but also questions that pertain to real life. Like in a history class, my government teacher he does a great job of that. He'll ask and be like, "How many of you drive a car?" And people raise their hands, and then he's like, "How many people have like." you think you might've broken this law driving, blah, blah. And then he goes on to talk about different laws in government. And it's just relating lessons in class to real life is really important. Now, I, I know that, and because I taught history, I know that we try to do that. And sometimes that's a little bit lower hanging fruit, so to speak, in a history class. You can, you can yeah. tie it in there. Is there a way that they can do that in math or in science? In math, People are always asking, when am I going to use this in real life? I think showing kids when you will use this in real life is a great thing because when I've learned, like when I, especially in statistics, you have to use a lot of that, especially if you're going into like, say, finance or accounting, you do showing the kids the real life application is really helpful because then they're like, oh, I have to learn this. I have to remember this. And even things that are more complicated, just tying it to something simpler is a great tactic, I think. So have you, and, and all that's really engaging because suddenly it makes sense and now you want to learn it. We always want to learn yeah. something if we know we're going to use it. Have you ever, are there any like go-to strategies that you've seen teachers use that work to support you in accessing more difficult content? 
I would say there's not any one particular strategy because every teacher is different, of course, but I would say the one that's helped the most is really just taking like a hard reading, like that's really difficult and just condensing it and making the language more accessible is really helpful. So language is sometimes a problem that um, that maybe we don't think about. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I had a I had a friend that that did his doctoral work and he was a history teacher. He did his doctoral work on using images to break down complex um, concepts in history. So he would take, he was big into art and things like that. He would take a picture and explain a difficult concept that normally you'd have to read like three different primary resources and instead you use a picture to do it. That's awesome. Wow. So you're thinking the more, the, the simpler they keep things even though you're still getting the difficult concept is the best way to go. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. So, you know, as, as a principal and knowing that teachers are thinking about pacing and there's a certain amount of material you have to get through in a certain time, right? We hear the difference between honors courses and AP courses. Would it make more sense to slow down or to simplify things? Like the old saying, slow down to go fast. Do you think there's, there's anything to that? Do you think that would keep students up more? Yes, I think there definitely is merit in slowing down to go fast because you can cover a lot of content when you teach broadly, I would say, instead of going over every minute detail, especially in AP classes. If you keep emphasizing details, then you won't get to all the content, which I've learned the hard way sometimes, <laughs> my experience. Yeah, and I mean, you a lot. Of, well, you can go into AP courses near the end of the year, right before the test, and it's like, well, we haven't covered this unit, so you have to know all this, this, and this because this is on the test, but we didn't get to it. It's chaos. Yeah. It's chaos. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. See, you just simplified what I was trying to say in a difficult way. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think students get empowered in class? So I'll give you an example to help, to help, help you out a little bit. Um, in English courses, students will or teachers will assign a reading, say, and they'll assign the reading for homework. So students are supposed to go home. And you'll see this with Socratic method and history classes and things like that. And sometimes students won't go home and do the reading. And then they come back in and that kind of creates that chaotic environment in the classroom. How is it that teachers can empower students to take learning into their own hands? I would, for a situation like that, I would say maybe assign a couple short questions to go along with the reading. Because if you just tell kids to read, but nothing to reinforce that, if you tell them just to read, then they're not going to feel motivated to do it. But if there's questions that make them think about the reading and they're like, oh, I have to turn to my questions, they're going to be much more, like you said, empowered to learn the material. Okay. Do you think, do you think getting students empowered to learn outside the classroom is directly tied to engagement? And while... Well, that's an easy yes, right? Because if a kid is not engaged, not going to be empowered to do that. Yeah. But how can teachers get students engaged in a way that empowers them to maybe go off on their own and learn different things or new things or, or different aspects of the curriculum? Like I said before, telling kids the real life applications, but also making, like you were saying, you're a history teacher. I love history too. It's one of my favorite subjects. And the thing that got me to really love history, I, I hated history in middle school. I thought it was so boring until freshman year, we started learning more interesting subjects. And I was like, these are really just people doing things that are just crazy that would be different from real life. And that's why I like history. I'm like, oh, these are just regular people that are doing wild things. And I think really just teachers 
proposing the content as just like, this is something that is different from real life. This is something more. This is something we want to learn. I feel like that's a good way to empower kids. That's a powerful statement that is sometimes difficult to work to. Something we want to learn. Yeah. And getting students to agree with the teacher on that. I mean, because sometimes, right, I nerd out on different parts of history. And even my wife looks at me, she's like, all right, enough, Jones. But um, (laughs) yeah, so I, you know, that's, that's a powerful thing. If teachers can get students to say, this is important. This is something I want to learn. So quick question for you, you know, you're talking about how, and as, as I'm listening to you and the different things you're saying, where you're saying it's important to have clear communication for support for students. And it's important for engagement to show kids and students, not just how they can learn something, but why they should learn something and when they would use it. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. What do you plan on doing when you get out of high school? When I get out of high school, like I said, I'm majoring in political science. And if I can, I'd like to go on the pre-law track in college and hopefully go to law school. And then after that, I want to pursue a career in public policy or just politics in general. Boy, I'll tell you, I when we're talking about engaged students, um, your name definitely comes to mind because I wish I had even a part of a clue like that when I was getting out of high school <laughs> about what I wanted to do. So good Thank for you. you. <laughs> Thank you. Public policy. So you're also involved in sports and different clubs at school. Obviously, we talked about SEEK, that aspect of it. How important is it? Because a lot of research says well, just about all the research says that the more connected a student is to the school, the better they do academically. So how do you get students engaged in clubs, activities, sports, and how important is that at the ground level? I know people can say research says this or research says that, but sometimes it looks a little different in the hallways. Yeah. I'm also the editor-in-chief for The What Magazine, which is the school's brand new student-run magazine. A little promo there. Sometimes at the meetings, when it gets really hectic, I will, I'm not very tall, so I will grab a chair and I will get up and stand on the chair and I will start talking and say, everybody listen up. And then I will propose a new activity. And then I will say, you do this, not not in a bossy way, don't worry. And I'll, I'll try to delegate tasks. And that's so everybody is doing something. And, and if they don't like what they're doing, then they can, of course, do something else because it's a club. Everything is optional. And I just want to make sure everyone's having fun. That makes sense. So let me throw this out there then. Just kind of an exercise in, in wish or what if. Uh-huh. And the what is a great thing to read, by the way. 
But uh, I, I never miss a I never miss an issue. <laughs> Let me ask you this: What if there were certain things in academic classrooms that were optional? Would that work? It works in clubs, right? Yeah, I don't know. It depends on the class, honestly. Because if it was more an elect more an elective class, I would say optional things would be great. Because usually in electives or AP classes, the kids are there because they want to be and they chose to be in that class, I would say for more normal core courses, optional assignments would not maybe be the best route, but maybe optional assignments in addition to the required curriculum could be fun if the optional assignments were, if the students could cater them to their interests regarding the subject. All right. So you wrote legislation to get rid of plastic bags and styrofoam, and that was kind of controversial in some areas, I would think. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to take a chance because I don't think you're afraid of controversy. Homework. What if we made homework optional for students in classes? What would that look like? Do you think students would do it? Do you think they'd be engaged? Would it be a chance for them to be supported? Would they be empowered to do it? I think that would definitely be a test of a lot of students' willpower. (laughs) And (laughs) I think it could be a good strategy honestly, because a lot of kids have really busy home lives. Actually, I would say to an extent, because an an extent of optional homework, if it's just a small assignment and if you're like, oh, that's optional, that would be okay. But if it's big, I would say teachers should cut back on homework, even though I know in most AP classes, it is almost a requirement sometimes. I would say optional homework is not a bad idea, depending on the circumstance, of course. Depending on the circumstance, it would, it would, from the school's standpoint, it would be optional to offer optional homework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I figured I'd ask you about that because I know like there are classes where homework isn't graded that heavy mm-hmm. and doesn't matter much towards grades where your assessments do. So if you're learning the material, you don't really need to bother with the homework because it's more used as a, as a way to support your learning or, or, or deepen your learning. Mm-hmm. But I just figured I would ask you about that, that optional piece with the, with the fun wrapped into it. Yeah, I would, I would say homework should almost always be graded on participation, which I've come to support more and more this year. <laughs> <laughs> Different classes. Well, that's interesting. So talk to me a little bit about that, more on participation. So it's a chance to get credit but not lose credit? Or what do you mean by that, by participation? This year in one of my classes, I'm not going to name which one, but we have homework every night, which is usual. It's a short assignment, but it's a test grade every time and it's graded on correctness. So if say I had a test in school that day and I didn't do too well, and then on the homework that night, I didn't do too well either. Now I'm doing two sets of corrections for my classwork and homework. I think it's just a bigger burden on students. So it's it's easy to fall behind. And we all know that playing catch up and keep up doesn't work out very well. No, not at all. <laughs> so thank you for going there with the optional homework piece. I just, you know, being curious. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little about clear communication, engaged teachers, options, having fun. You You threw that in there. You know, we always talk about grades and academics and sometimes we get a little too serious about it. Yeah. How important is it to have fun in a classroom? I would say it's one of the most important things aside from, I think it should go hand in hand with learning the material, honestly, because of course, learning the material is the most important part. Okay. 
So keeping that in mind um, and all the other things you said, in your opinion, what would be a perfect school? So you as a student walk in and some subjects you're going to excel at, some you're going to struggle with, so you'll need some support. You want to be engaged in the community or the culture of the school, but you want to be empowered to take things that step further, much like you did with SEEK. Mm-hmm. So what's the perfect school environment according to your thoughts? The perfect school environment, I would say one where everyone feels a really strong sense of community and there's not many cliques or just animosity between students and animosity between students and teachers, just a a very supportive, open community and one where maybe academics aren't as strictly, strictly policed because I know a lot of students base a lot of their worth on their grades sometimes, which is awful. And it shouldn't be your whole person shouldn't be based on your academic strength while also not having it fall to the wayside. You said some serious things there like that. I just I want to go back and unpack a little bit. The two of them are and we'll take them one at a time. The two of them, you said animosity. You said a strong sense of community where there's not animosity between students and students and teachers. The other one is going to be about the whole idea of basing your worth on grades. But looking at the animosity piece first. What does that look like? Like what what causes animosity? Because I think if we can identify that, maybe, and I'm going to rely on you a little bit for this, maybe we can come up with ways to keep that from happening or solve it if it does happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What animosity between students and teachers looks like for me is like hearing kids walking past in the hallway and they're like swearing about a teacher. They're like, "Why, why are they doing this? Like, I don't get the point. Like, just let me do this. And it's usually in the instance where a teacher is trying to do their job and teach the material. And I would say animosity between students looks like just kids not getting along in general and just like not no one wanting to talk to each other, no one wanting to engage in school spirit events, which not as, is not as much happening now, but we saw a lot of in the past two years. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you talk about that because a lot of schools talked about how participation in things has dropped off. And among both students and staff, just because everybody is kind of blah or has been for the past year and a half. Yeah. Um, And it's been tough. And, you know, we're still getting out of that. But you, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm going to take a a leap at what I think you're saying there, or what I pulled from that is that a lot of this animosity might come from a lack of clear communication Mm -hmm. and a lack of good listening. Yeah. Because we yeah, can communicate, um, but if somebody doesn't hear it, then there's an issue. But go ahead. I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, I would say a disconnectedness and a lack of wanting to hear other people out. And like you said, listening. Disconnectedness. That's, that's a good word. And a lack of wanting to hear. So not having that open mind. Yeah. What about um, people basing their worth on grades? Talk to mm-hmm. me a little bit about that. And that, I mean, you just kind of threw that out. It sounds like you've heard students doing that. Uh-huh. How does that come about? And maybe how can schools support students in not doing that? As someone who's been in higher level classes for most of high school, I hear a lot of people throwing things out like, oh, I'm going to cry. I got to be on this test or like, like, I can't do this anymore. Like I have to get all A's. I think that it's not really, it's not explicitly emphasized by teachers. Like I've never personally like heard anyone be like, if you don't get these grades, like you're like something, like something bad will happen to you. But I feel I think a lot of kids are feeling the pressure, especially as you become an underclass, an upperclassman. 
what pressure is that? Are you talking about pressure to perform among your peers against your peers, per, um, get into a college, get scholarships? What what kind of pressure are you talking about? Yeah, pressure, pressure to in general, pressure to succeed, but pressure to get into college, pressure to just do things like make honor roll or just I've seen a little bit more of competitiveness between other kids with grades this year. So a little bit of that too. Okay. So how can how could we address that? How can we get students to be okay with who they are? Because my best not might not be as good as your best. But if it's the best mm-hmm. I can do, I have to be all right with that and still work to improve. But how do we get students to not base their personal worth on grades? I would say that it's mostly a societal and parental problem because I know a lot of kids feel the pressure a lot from their parents. But in school, I would say it's probably best to discourage like explicit discussion of grades. And like, I know people would like look at the newspaper and go like, oh, look who's on high honor roll. Blah, blah. And of course, that's great to put in the newspaper for the parents to see our hard work. But sometimes kids can get discouraged by that, which is, it stinks in it, but it does happen. You said something interesting. It's good for it to be in the paper so the parents can see it. Mm-hmm. So is it about the parents or is it about the students? Oh, yeah. I backed myself into that. Um, <laughs> I was, it's, it's all about the students. Honestly, the parents aren't the ones in school. They've already had their experiences. It's about the students and it's about our health, both mentally and physically. Good. Your parents aren't sitting there with you, are they? I didn't want to back you in a corner. I, I just think sometimes that, you know, as, and, and I'm a parent, so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I go to different things that my, my kids do. And I, I have to check myself sometimes yeah. to make sure that it's about the experience that the, the student's having and not about the experience that I want to have through my student in the worst case scenario, or, you know, even if it's because I want my student to succeed, I still have to realize where my students at for their mental and emotional health. Yeah. yeah. And that's very important. That's, that's great for you as a parent. Well, I'm, I'm a work in progress, so I, I never claim <laughs> to be, to have all the answers. <laughs> but thanks for explaining that about uh, the perfect school. We're getting near the end. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, I ask a form of this question of everybody that comes on the podcast. And before we leave, what would be the most important piece of advice you would give to teachers and to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower students in their schools? I would say, put yourself in the other person's shoes. You never know what everyone's dealing with outside of school. And this is for students and teachers. Take everything with a grain of salt and just remember to keep being kind to people because you truly never know what's going on with a person. That's absolutely fantastic. And so much wisdom. You're going to be so successful after high school with all the experiences you've had, just just the way you approach things and think about things. And um, I really thank you for coming on the podcast. I think a lot of people are going to are going to learn some good things from what you had to say today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is great. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. 
Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master's schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.